This conference will now be recorded. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. As always, you're listening to the ASSP Healthcare Practice Specialties Health Beat Podcast. I'm Corey Worden. I'm the current administrator for the Healthcare Practice Specialty. <clears throat> so today we got an exciting episode. We're going to be talking about a topic that's very relevant to healthcare providers and anybody working in healthcare or first response and anything involved in anything in that in that world uh, or associated worlds, everything associated with the pandemic and ongoing ongoing healthcare work and, and everything in between. So today we're going to be talking to Camilo and he's going to be talking to us about fatigue and burnout syndrome and a lot of different things associated with that. So we're going to have a, he's got a, got a great perspective and a lot of great information to talk about. So um, short of me speaking for you, um, Camilo, if you could give us a um, kind of a introduction, if you could tell our, our listeners about yourself, you know, where you come from, your um, education, credentials, experience, anything you want to talk about, we'd appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to be invited to talk to um, such a phenomenal group of, of people uh, working and serving others in, uh, in trying to keep them safe and trying to make them return home, home to, their, their, to their families. Um, this conference will now be recorded. Okay, so uh, uh, Camilo, short of me is speaking for you. Um, if you can give our listeners just a quick introduction about yourself, your experiences, education, credentials, anything that you'd like to like to discuss, if you want to do that, we'd appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to in this forum of uh, some of the unspoken heroes in the workplace, the, the safety professionals. And, I mean, our our work is usually not appreciated at, at, uh, above us and below us but uh, essentially we are in a profession of servitude making sure that that uh, the workers and employees and everybody goes back home and, and is able to live a healthy life um, my background uh, well as you can probably tell already i'm not originally from the u.s uh, from texas but i had whenever i had the opportunity i came as soon as i could I'm originally from Venezuela. I have already 21 years uh, living here in the U.S. Um, I have a significant background in emergency response. I was a firefighter in Venezuela, a uh, firefighter paramedic uh, who was uh, working on uh, one of the largest uh, colleges over there, uh, the Universidad Central de Venezuela. Um, the Central University of Venezuela. So I was uh, the lead um, guy, the coordinator for the HAZMAT team that uh, provided services to the college. And uh, with that, I started discovering things within the, the um, lab safety, chemical safety world that uh, um, essentially prompted me to start looking for additional information. I knew I understood I was limited in my knowledge and understanding of uh, chemical safety and, and laboratory safety and uh, healthcare workplace safety. So I started uh, looking around and I found that <clears throat> Texas A&M has a significant uh, training center, training facility uh, within the, their field. And uh, I, I came and started coming over to the US um, in 95 to start taking hazmat training over there in A&M. Um, fast forward a few, a few years later, um, 
2000, um, I was uh, given the opportunity to immigrate to the U.S., uh, sponsored by a, an emergency response organization, um, as one of their hazmat supervisors. Uh, I, so I took that opportunity, of course, and uh, that allowed me to uh, establish myself here in the U.S. Uh, during that period of time, I, I was able to uh, expand a little bit more and get deeper into uh, not only hazmat response, but also health and safety. And um, from that point on, I started developing a, 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 a passion uh, for uh, servitude um, with uh, not only for uh, our uh, responders uh, in the industrial side and on the fire side, but also to our communities through protection, uh, resiliency on uh, a lot of different other aspects. So I started working heavier on uh, uh, more involved into uh, organizational health and safety and uh, that led into my transition into emergency management, uh, all hazards emergency and crisis management where I've been since around 2010 um always volunteering with uh, different response organizations uh, fire departments as a paramedic i um, became a paramedic instructor for uh, several years with one of the community colleges in the area um, so uh, most recently i've been involved into more, a heavier academic realm of uh, organizational uh, psychology I'm currently working on my master's degree and um, I'm researching heavily on cultural and uh, organizational change, particularly in response organizations. So that's my nutshell of uh, academic and, and uh, experience background. Yeah, outstanding. Definitely a lot of great experience and great, great work. So we certainly appreciate all that you do. So I know you mentioned there that, you know, you've worked in as a firefighter and in EMS and definitely a lot of very important, important work, you know, within healthcare. We, of course, we work with EMS for, you know, pre-hospital care and all that, all that good stuff. So um, within all that, you know, what are some of the different hazards and some of the different, um, the different risks, things that you've seen the most over, over your career? I want to be a, a little bit esoterical on this one. Uh, I was when I saw the the I heard it question the first time in one of the previous podcasts in the preparation for this one. I I, I started kind of playing around. Okay, how can I answer that one uh, in the most honest way uh, from my academic back uh, point of view, from burnout management and from organizational uh, psychology point of view? And I will say that the biggest risk as an emergency responder, as an emergency management and crisis management planner, and as a, a responder in general, health and safety specialist in general, I can say that egos are the biggest hazards that we find in, in our uh, organizations. What I'm trying to say with that is whenever we have within our, our organizations, people that resist um, innovative ideas, safety processes and recommendations 
just because they want to be right and doesn't align with what they think it has to be done, that's where I think that they, we have the biggest hazard within our, uh, our workplaces. Um, people that will resist safety recommendations, safety orientation, safety policies with uh, just because that just because uh, is one of those things that I think is is interesting to analyze and one of the reasons why actually I came I'm, I'm jumping into um, organizational psychology is trying to understand those uh, organizational behaviors, those group behaviors, and try to see how can we as uh, safety professionals as uh, leaders, as servant leaders, understand how can we adjust not only the organizational policies, but also how can we present them in a way that is more acceptable, more, more understandable for people to follow those recommendations that are on their own um, well-being and, and, uh, and uh, safety and security uh, uh, point of view. So, um, that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest problems uh, the, or hazards that I have seen. Um, most of the bad decisions are uh, that I have seen or, or situations with bigger consequences other than natural uh, causes um, are usually due to a bad decision behind on somebody with a big ego who didn't want to be wrong. So, that's my playful answer to that one. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of factors there. It's always interesting to see how those things work. You know, when we always talk about high reliability, you know, that's the biggest thing is is knowing that we need to not only analyze the hazards and put the controls in place, but then from there we have to make sure that everybody understands the expectations and they have the proper training. And then we're able to validate those things are being done in real time. And of course, within within healthcare, that changes. Usually, when it comes to communications, we tend to think that, that the communication is, when it, especially when it comes to policies and health and safety uh, in health and uh, safety organizations uh, or health and safety policies in general, it is supposed to be most of the traditional point of view is it has to be a, a one way communication uh, um, process where. We said what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to accept it. Unfortunately, we see that in, especially with the, the, the newer multicultural um, communities uh, uh, and populations, we see more and more resistance when it comes to one directional uh, communication. So it's, it's not only presenting the information on the content on the what, but also making sure that they are not only ready to receive that communication, so that you need to uh, be able to understand uh, their level of acceptance of that uh, of that message, their receptivity, and also provide them. And this is one of the things that we're probably going to talk a little bit more uh, during the burnout syndrome uh, part of this conversation is. They also need to realize that there uh, there is a why behind all of this, uh, all of this intentionality of hey, we're trying to provide you with these policies because we have identified these risks and uh, the way we have been able to analyze the, the potential solutions 
is to provide, is to take these actions or take these tasks uh, in front of us and allowing them to understand or even participate in, the, in that process of identification, not only of problems, but also solutions, allows them to be more receptive of, uh, of these issues, of these uh, policies and these recommendations and making them usually more uh, accepting of, of, of those processes and more creating uh, down the road uh, a better uh, appreciation and compliance with all of these uh, recommendations that we may have. So it's, it's a matter of understanding that that uh, identification of processes and that uh, uh, communication of rules and rule following is, is a two-way communication process. So is understanding your audience, knowing your audience, knowing the message that you need to send, understanding and adapting the message on how it needs to be presented and understanding how the message could be more effectively received. So th those are a, a lot of different uh, steps that needs to be considered whenever we are uh, talking about all of these processes. It definitely, yeah, that's definitely great, great input. There's. There's a lot to it, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, some organizations, they'll get to the point where they have the hazards identified and they put the controls in place. You know, a lot of times just fundamental compliance with federal regulations and national consensus standards. And then from there that it kind of stops. So, yeah, definitely the, the communication, the expectations, then validating those things in real time. It's all all very important to develop those those leading indicators and then measuring the lagging indicators to look for the validity and reliability. So definitely very important. Um, so I know you mentioned you mentioned um, communication and, and training and expectations. What uh, what types of hazard control programs have you seen that have been especially effective over the years? Well, if, if we go back into the uh, burnout syndrome and uh, what is also called emotional fatigue, um, the, the, um, the research establishes that one of the most important uh, controls uh, is, uh, is creation of resiliency, um, individual resiliency and organizational resiliency. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, burnout syndrome and, and uh, how uh, it has become uh, or has come a little bit more into the attention of, of the, the common people, um, especially after uh, or during all of this craziness that is going on with the pandemic. Um, we are tired. We are saturated. We are emotionally fatigued. We are uh, presenting symptoms of emotional saturation, emotional um, uh, abuse, uh, excessive workload and, and work hours and uh, conflict over work demands, the expectations are not clear. Um, so that creates a significant um, overload of, of emotions uh, in people and, and that's part of the, the sources of all of these additional uh, presentations that we have in uh, with people being overreactive or or presenting with uh, over emotional reactions and such. So the most important, uh, like in any other process, the most important uh, controls and steps that we uh, should take or have been uh, proven 
the first one, of course, is identifying the issue. You, I, once you identify that there is a, a, an issue of uh, emotional fatigue or emotional uh, so oversaturation or overload, um, it's important to, from that point, create that uh, or transform that um, identification into, okay, now that we have this issue, that this problem, we need to identify or what is creating it uh, and or how can we make it better. So the most important control, uh, finally, it tends to be mental resiliency or emotional resiliency. How can we create that uh, process? How can we um, allow and uh, um, motivate our people to have a proper, proper mental resiliency? Um, one of the most important things that we can, as uh, individuals and organizations, uh, take into uh, consideration for controlling uh, emotional emotional um, fatigue and, and burnout is, uh, like I mentioned, identify those uh, those issues, those problems, those sources of problems, and start working into uh, creating, uh, identifying. The, the sources of the the sources of stress identifying those sources of stress could be something as um, identify the demands of the job maybe the job is becoming so uh, complicated so intricate so much paperwork so many uh, steps that have to be completed in order to uh, complete expectations that the the job itself and, and this is something that in at least in healthcare is very uh, usually tends to be uh, heavily identified, is there's so much paperwork that uh, a significant amount of the time the care providers are expecting and are using um, is not taking care of the patient but completing paperwork. So how can we, as an organization, make that process of paperwork and documentation that is absolutely needed uh, simpler, easier, or uh, less stressful on the provider so the provider can actually provide be more successful on their, on their job and more meaningful on their job. Uh, the, oh, another another step that we can do, uh, or, or another control, is provide the people more control, um, provide more empathic communications, um, being able to, uh, particularly with uh, healthcare uh, providers, uh, being able to create that, uh, I wouldn't say attachment, but that ease of communication process of communicating to the patients their purpose. Hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a healthcare provider and I'm here to help you because I'm, I, I care about you. I want you to stop smoking or control your smoking habits because I care about you because this uh, smoking habit can create these other consequences that have been identified. It's not just stop smoking and, and that's it. Uh, that creation of, of of providing, giving the the, the receiver and the uh, provider more control over the communications, over the, the the empathy of the communication, over the meaning, over the the roles of what we are doing, also tends to create a, a significant amount of uh, compliance uh, with the, the recommendations and guidance. And uh, I do believe that one of the most important aspects or, or, or controls that we can provide for not only individual, but also organizational um, uh, mental resiliency is uh, provide support, support to cope. 
So normalizing emotional and mental health processes through organizational culture, through leadership, through examples, through making the, 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 the uh, resources and tools that are out there for, for uh, coaching, for therapy, for support, uh, I do believe that are one of the most important steps for improving mental resiliency. Um, I recently heard uh, a therapist mentioning, uh, you don't go to the dentist whenever you, you shouldn't go to the dentist whenever you have a major root canal needed, right? You should go to the dentist periodically so you can have that maintenance and that prevention so it's less likely for you to need a root canal. So that, that, that comparison uh, with mental health, I do believe that is extraordinarily valid. Um, usually when we talk with people that understand and actually can relate to our process or our, our uh, coping mechanisms or our struggles can provide a significant uh, scaffolding to, your, uh, to those moments of emotional support, the emotional struggle that we may have. Yeah, that's definitely great perspectives. It, I like how you put that with the, you know, going to the dentist proactively, you know, as a as a preventative preventative measure as opposed to waiting to till something goes terribly wrong. Which it's actually interesting because I got an appointment coming up for a root canal myself, which I should have done, should have had fixed earlier. Uh, so always something like that, especially with a with the pandemic going on for so long. Um, so, um, you know, it's interesting with with things like burnout and, and fatigue management, you know, it it tends to be that the more the more work and the more operations and the faster the tempo, the more these things pile up, you know, with burnout and fatigue. And a lot of times safety professionals, they'll even say that, you know, a lot of times keeping up with the 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 evolution of regulations and national consensus standards and we have the new OSHA emergency temporary standard for COVID-19 and all of these different factors even that can kind of tend to increase with with burnout and then you take that to the organization and they don't want to hear about it because they've already got burnout from all their operations so hearing about safety regulations is not something they're interested in um, do you think that all the regulations and all the consistent standards and best practices. I'm sorry, not best practices, but um, um, the um, recommended practices. Yes, yes, the um, guidance, I should say. Do, do you feel like those are effective? Do you feel like they're doing the doing the job they're intended for? A, a lot of times, regulation. Well, that, that's one of the things with with health and safety and uh, with um, uh, emergency preparedness uh, planning is that when it's done effectively. Uh, the investment seems to be for, especially for those who don't see it being applied, um, is hard to quantify. So how can, how can you really quantify how much you you saved in safety, in safety injuries, uh, accidents, and, and so on? When how can you prove that you avoided all of these additional costs when nothing happens? So if it's Emergency management preparedness and health and safety tend to be those uh, arguable 
parts of the budget because of that cost to benefit, it doesn't seem to be mathematically direct, uh, particularly for those who don't understand the process and prob probabilities and such. I do believe that the, the regulations have uh, do have their effect uh, and, and guidance and, and uh, um, best recommendations. I'm sorry, not best recommendations because that implies that there's nothing better than. But the the good guidance, um, I do believe that they do have their uh, significant benefits. The thing is demonstrating that the mathematical directness of cost benefit to those who don't understand the process. So I think that yes, we're doing good. We're doing regulatory wise, we're doing a good job. Can we do better? Absolutely. There's always room for improvement. And that's one of the things that I usually indicate, not only from the personal point of view, but also from the organizational point of view. There is something cultural that uh, I like to bring to the table whenever I have a chance. And it's uh, one of those uh, ancient philosophies uh, and ancient knowledges. Usually, um, uh, some people will, will like to go to an ancient knowledge for consultation, for verification. Some people use the Quran, some people use the Bible um, as sources of an ancient information as we can, we can relate to those. I like to relate to uh, not only those potential religious uh, documents for, for also sources of, uh, of emotional reference and, and solitude or um, mindfulness, but also uh, other cultural uh, sources of wisdom. Uh, in my case, my mental operating system uh, is Stoicism, which is a, a Greek philosophy of uh, um, living your life through virtue, through through courage, through the, the search for courage, excellence, uh, um, temperance, just, justice and wisdom, uh, using values. To, to demonstrate or to try to reach um, I want to say, uh, a better a better state of uh, of uh, mindfulness and control over yourself. I also believe significantly in ancient documents and ancient philosophies as Kaizen. That's a, a, a Japanese philosophy of uh, change for the better. So I do believe that there's always room for improvement. Going back to your uh, a question about regulations and, and uh, policies and, and documents. I do believe that there's always that little better that we can do, that there's always that little additional teamwork, personal discipline, that additional improved morale, um, in, that inclusion for, for that acceptance of, of always uh, room for improvement should be there. Um, and that's one thing that unfortunately creates certain certain sources of stress. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great perspectives there. Because of the continuous change and our apparent resistance to change, when it comes in, bringing back to my original point of identifying an issue. I joke around saying we have a resistance to change and allow me to ask you, Cody, how do you think, and this is one of the one of those questions that I like to play around with, with people when it comes to 
when, when they say, oh no, uh, change is difficult, change, uh, people don't change. How much do you think you will change in your ways in the next five or 10 years? Usually people say, no, no, no not much. I will not change that if, uh, in my ways at all. Okay, let me ask you the same question from a different perspective. How much have you changed in the last five to 10 years? And there's usually that, yeah, I have changed a lot. So see, you're not resistant, you're not resistant to change. We are, as humans, we are very bad predicting change, but we are good adapting to progressive change. So this is to kind of bring to the table, again, one of those elements that I mentioned earlier of identifying an issue. Once we identify that we need to accept change as part of our process to continue improving, not only as individuals, but also as organizations, that's when egos tend to be more controlled and accept their ideas, suggestions, and recommendations from others, making the process more acceptable, more manageable, more uh, in tune with the new things and with the recommendations that we might have in front of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of factors there. Always, always interesting to see how all that works together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so far we've talked a lot about the, you know, the different hazards that exist, and especially within the, within the healthcare and the EMS world. And then, of course, we've talked about the way that fatigue and burnout syndrome can tend to show up in that. And you talked about a lot of the different hazard control programs and, um, the, the different um, organizational developments that can be used for that. What um, are there any other related wellness issues or any any other um, performance factors or perf human factors that have been involved in that that you think are interesting to discuss as well? Yeah, I, I do believe that there's a significant amount of personal personal responsibility. We need to be um, more aware that we are responsible for our own happiness uh, and our own state of mind. Um, there, are, there is a certain sense of dependency, um, especially in our culture, where we believe that we need the approval of others or we need to, be a, uh, to have a companion uh, to become happy. Or, there's certain ways that that adds to your emotional uh, baseline, to your happiness or not. However, we, we are responsible for our uh, personal level of emotional satisfaction, the level of happiness. The way we see things, the way we, uh, we uh, the, the way we filter what we see, uh, we, we see things in the world around us, criticism and chronic finding problems everywhere. Well, that's what you want to find, but that's what you want to see. If we program ourselves, if we rewire ourselves to see things through the lenses of thankfulness, of mindfulness, of positivity, we will see, we will find those uh, positive aspects that silver lining everywhere. 
And, and that's, in my opinion, one of the most important things that we can do as individuals is, is develop that, that uh, uh, positive, chronic, positive, and optimistic point of view. Um, there are significant number, there's a significant numbers of, of different uh, things that you can do uh, for, for personal happiness, in, in, including, of course, mindfulness, uh, meditation, uh, thankfulness, do good for others, um, manage your stresses through management, through, through management of uh, time, uh, personal personal time versus work time, uh, organizing your your uh, workspace now that we are living in the world of, of uh, remote work for those who can, uh, is making sure you separate your your workspace and your work time from your family time or your home time and so on so there's a lot of little steps that we can do to add to that mindfulness uh, that we should be looking for and again these are personal tasks personal activities because and i will repeat this slightly quirky phrase but we are responsible of our own happiness we shouldn't depend on others uh, or others' approvals or, or others' perceptions of happiness uh, to, to value or, or measure ours. So, um, and again, uh, that's that's one of the things that I, I, I'm, I'm going to probably repeat uh, towards towards the end is we need to take responsibility responsibility for our own uh, measurement of happiness. Yeah, that's definitely a big factor, you know, especially with <clears throat> um, the increase in all these new technological developments. You know, we have instant communication and we have access to, you know, everybody can share all these different photos and different um, different parts of their lives. And we're constantly bombarded with all of that, plus all the media, plus everything. And And then, of course, we have to deal with all these constant changes with, you know, potentially life-threatening hazards, you know, and all these different issues. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a lot going on there, and wellness is very important for that. So, great, great perspective. Um, you know, the last thing we always ask everybody, and this is kind of the the question, I'm, I'm, I always keep track of all the answers, and one day I'm going to write an article about the research is, so if you had a if you had a magic wand and you could you know you could pick something to change about safety or about wellness or you know the way that organizations manage safety or um, human human factors or human performance or any of these different things, what's the one thing that you would shake your magic wand and change? I I was afraid of this question because. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, we have seen that whenever something comes to you without effort, we don't appreciate it that much. And on the same time, we want that easy fix, that pill that cures me, that, that instead of putting the effort of, and, the, and, and the, the struggle to go through that a painful process to accept and uh, adapt, uh, to a to a, a change and appreciate it more. We don't like to lose. We like we like to we would like to lose weight 
the easy way, but not through exercises and diet because that, that's hard. So having the magic wand to facilitate something that needs to be done, I, 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 I'm tempted, but I don't want to. Do, I don't want to take that one. But if I needed to um, facilitate a process for everybody to be able to magically improve, I will say put intentionality on everything that you do. Uh, there are consequences, there are um, motives, but uh, if you want to really be, do better, in not only in your life, but also in your service uh, as a safety professional towards others, you need to be intentional. So intentionality to do better, not just to do right. That would be my, my magic one um, Wag over there, like sprinkle it with a little bit of additional optimism. So be intentional uh, in being better, not just in being right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I like how you put that because, you know, within safety leadership, of course, it's it, like you said, it's not an overnight, you know, magic wand solution is that we have to be able to show that, you know, we've done our diligence with you know, doing the hazard assessment and engaging our, our teams and putting the controls in place and then communicating expectations and providing training. And then then we have the the leading indicators. You know, we have to be able to validate that these things are are um, are effective, you know, whether it's safety observations and safe work conditions and all these different factors. And then from there, you know, where we follow up on any near misses and any good catches, then we're able to follow up on the incidents and the lagging indicators and it's that continual improvement cycle. So yeah. if we if we put that work into it, you know, and then we address the human factors and then address the human performance issues and and we hear the feedback and we work with our team members, you know, for things like fatigue management and preventing burnout. And then from there we're able to, you know, continually improve then it it creates that reliability, which is the, the sustainability. So yeah, I totally agree your, with your thoughts there. <clears throat> but um, that's a great, great discussion. A lot of great information there. Um, but you know, is there anything else that you'd like to, like to add today? Anything that you want to discuss or 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 bring up before we before we tie it up today? Man, my my, my final phrase will be to, oh, my, my final thought uh, is. Uh, be contagious in your optimism, be enthusiastic in your in intentionality and demonstrate that there is there is a, a good out there. Um, when we focus on just being right or in pointing out the bad of things around us, um, that's all we see, that's all we find, and that's all we give. I do believe that um, Optimism is contagious and should be. I do believe in good intentions on, on, on people and, and that that projects th those good intentions, that optimism, that that contagious enthusiasm creates uh, a better workplace, creates a better uh, communities, creates a, definitely or, or, or hopefully a, a better world for everybody. So it's, it's not just being mindful, just to you know be on, on a fade, uh, on a on a fashion statement, but being optimist 
uh, enthusiastically optimistic, contagiously optimistic about what you do, whichever task, whatever endeavor you, you get into, that's what, what I wish on everybody. Um, if we have people with uh, with that level of enthusiasm, contagious uh, emotion into demonstrating that they're safety professionals because they want to serve people to be able to get back homes health, healthy and and live live long and prosper uh, with with uh, whichever makes them happy. That's 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 probably more likely to be accepted and followed than whenever a safety person goes in and demonstrates or tries to demonstrate that they're in that role for power or so they can oh i can tell people what i do what to do or what they have to do uh, and they better follow follow those recommendations or else i do believe that intentionality positive contagious intentionality is is the magic dust behind everything and that's how i would like to close it <laughs> thank you for the opportunity cody uh, definitely, I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, this conversation and enjoying trying to be a little bit more optimistically contagious with everything I do. Yeah, definitely, that that's a great sentiment. You know, it's very important that um, I, um, I I agree with you that it's very important that we're able to, you know, we're able to stay positive and we're able to to keep things in that mindset to where it's. It's a matter of being able to continually improve and be be proactive and and prevent these things rather than constantly react and everything being an emergency and having to figure everything out as people are you know being injured or or exposed to illnesses or whatnot. So that, that's definitely a great great perspective. Um, and of course, for everybody listening, if you haven't if you haven't seen the advertisement, uh, you can check it out. It's on ASSP on November fifth. We're going to be doing a webinar about the same topic, and uh, Camilo is going to be on there with us. He's going to be talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, about fatigue management and preventing burnout syndrome. And so that's going to be on November 5th at uh, 1 p.m. Central or uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. And he's going to be giving a great presentation about this, so he'll be getting more in detail and more in depth about it. So otherwise, um, again, for everybody listening, if you haven't seen it, our Anchor page has all of our different podcasts, so if you want to check it out, it's on anchor.fm slash ASSP-HCPS-HealthBeat, and we've got uh, 25 episodes up now. So we've got today's episode, of course, with Camilo, and we've got episodes about needle stick and sharp injury prevention. We've got episodes about disease exposure prevention. We've got episodes about um, respiratory protection, air circulation. We've got an episode about workplace violence prevention. We've got different panel discussions with, with six of our ASSP practice specialties. We've got environmental, public sector, uh, ergonomics, industrial hygiene, and then we have the women in safety excellence and also blacks in safety excellence. So we've got a lot of great episodes on there, and they're all always up there free of charge. Feel free to check it out. And like we said, check out our webinars. And then, of course, if you'd like to get involved with us, check us out on the ASSP communities or on the LinkedIn page or our new Twitter feed, which is the at sign ASSP HCPS. So otherwise, uh, again, Camila, we appreciate you being here today. It's been a great conversation. And um, we're looking forward to your to your webinar on November 5th. But um, 
Otherwise, we'll we'll talk to everybody real soon. Have a have a great day. <laughs>